month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever in his kingdom of his kingdom there shall be no end and mary said to the angel how will this be since i am a virgin and the angel said to her the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you and therefore the child to be born will be called holy the son of god and behold your relative elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now you can join with me in verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And there she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to me in my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. Advent is a season of the church that takes us from anxiety to anticipation to adoration. In the midst of Christmas season, when the trees go up and the lights blaze around Owasso and around Tulsa, all of our shopping centers are lit. We have our lists to do, our decorating to get done, and we start hurrying to get everything ready for Christmas. 
We've got lists to check off, gifts to buy, online shopping to do, places to be, things to have done, things to be decorated. We have in-laws coming to visit. And somewhere along the way, no matter how earnest you might be, somewhere along the way, we lose the point of Christmas, which is, of course, the birth of our Savior, about which this first song sings about. And Mary had every reason to miss Christmas. I mean, she didn't even intend to be there. And in Mary's song, you have brought out of the Magnificat, the words in Latin that begin her song, magnify the Lord. You have in these words a sense of my own heart's journey during Advent, and I bet your heart's journey as well, from anxiety to anticipation to adoration. That's where the song takes us. So let's look at those three things briefly together. First, anxiety. Look at verse 27. You may have heard me read it. If you have a Bible with you, you can look at it. It's not in your bulletin, but I will reread it for you. When Gabriel arrived and he visited Mary, he came to a virgin betrothed to a man, and he said, Greeting, O favor one, the Lord is with you. And verse 29 says, And she was greatly troubled. Now, it's hard sometimes to, to uh, translate Quone Greek into English effectively, but what literally the word means is that she was stressed out to the max. She was greatly troubled. She was like, if you will, freaking out. The same way that you might be if an angel came to you. Now, this angel, we all know, was named Gabriel, the text tells us, had a niche of delivering very special messages to people. He had come just a few months before this to Elizabeth, her cousin, and delivered a similar message. And did you know that 700 years before that, in Daniel chapter 8, beginning at, uh, beginning at verse 21, and then in chapter 9, it, he gives a message to Daniel. And it's interesting to do a study on the similarities between the messages that he gives to Daniel, he gives to Elizabeth, and he also gives to Mary. And if you're in a community group, you'll ask that question together and dig into God's Word and explore that. But here Mary receives the most shocking news of her life. And essentially the message was this, Mary, I'm going to ruin your life. You're going to be an unwed, pregnant woman in a society where you will be an outcast. You will be forced to live in poverty. You will probably not be able to enter into the temple the rest of your life in the outer courts. You might not even in some towns be welcomed in the gates. Mary, I am Gabriel. I have a message for you. <laughs> and blown away by the shock of this message, Mary absorbs this blow only because of the absorption of the awareness of God's tremendous love for her. How about you? Some of you have been shocked with pregnancies you may not have wanted or sooner than you anticipated, jobs you may not have anticipated losing, situations in your life that changed on a dime. And Mary is helpful to me because Mary... I guess it's safe to say that Mary kind of, she made like a, she, she kind of semi-submitted to Gabriel. 
she like, she like half consciously said, I will be your servant, your doulos, I will be your bond servant. And I say that she kind of half submitted to it because she really didn't exactly know what she was submitting to. And sometimes we get messages from the Lord or we read God's word, it tells us to do something and we don't really know why, but we submit, that's sometimes the best we can do. We don't have reasons for why we should do it, but God's word says we should do it. In this case, Gabriel said, I am coming to, you're going to bear a child? And she, she, she submits. And I say that it sometimes is the best that we can do because you know that from your own experience, as do, mine, as do I. Sometimes we obey the Lord, not knowing the reason why, but we do. And the reason why I think she kind of halfway submits is because she didn't really get it. Gabriel almost, almost implicitly, certainly, maybe almost directly, he kind of says, you know what, hey, go see your cousin. He doesn't directly say go see Elizabeth, but it's implied in the text. Go see Elizabeth. And so it says that Mary went in a hurry. She went in haste to go see Elizabeth. And I think there's something very, very important for us, particularly in our culture here, that when we receive a word from the Lord, as it were, when you read the Bible and you feel like God is speaking to you in a very direct, very personal way, there's something instructive here because what did Mary do? She took this news and she went off by herself and said, aha, I have a word from the Lord. No, that's not what she did. She immediately took it and went to see someone else. She went to see her cousin. And I think by way of application for us, it's very important for us to know that when you receive words from the Lord, when you understand God's word, when it comes to you, the Lord intends to speak to you through the community of faith. And here Mary had every reason. She had had a visit from the angel in heaven to take that and just say, yes, I am now the mother of the Savior of the world. And she could have gone to Elizabeth and said, big cousin, older cousin, little cousin is here. I am the mother of your Savior. Bow to me. But Mary didn't do that. She goes to Elizabeth with a sense of per she's perplexed. She doesn't fully comprehend, and it's not until Elizabeth, Elizabeth breaks into this amazing, high and lofty Trinitarian theology over her baby cousin that it lands on her, what is going on. And Elizabeth helps move Mary from anxiety to a, t a sense of anticipation. I mean, don't you see that in the text? It says, Elizabeth says to her, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of the womb. Why would it be granted to me, little cousin? They grew up, little cousin. She lifts her up. She obviously is, in a sense, showing her reverence and respect. And when Mary sees her older cousin showing her that kind of respect, it lands on her. It falls on her. Which is why it's important for us to be in community groups. We're not trying to be in community groups because we don't think you can make friends on your own. We want you to be in community groups to have spiritual friendships so that when you're reading God's Word or when you feel like the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, you can take that to the community of faith and you can say, this is what the Lord said to me. And let me take this one step further. Some of us grow so anxious about what we should be we want to be a doctor, or we want to be an attorney, or we want to be a teacher, or we want to be an engineer. 
And for some of us, those are good questions to ask, particularly high schoolers as you get, start heading into college. But sometimes those questions can utterly confuse and perplex us and tie us into knots because we don't have the kind of self-perception to really know until we've exposed ourselves to the community. And they can, students, please hear me, they can weigh in on that question. So that when we, you just get busy serving other people, people will come around you and say, you know what? You're such an amazing teacher. Or you've got the mind of an attorney. Or you've got the compassion of a physician. And the community can help you begin to understand your gifts in ways that you by yourself can't. One pastor, uh, British pastor John Stott said this. He said, we need the humility of Mary. She accepted God's promises. We also need Mary's courage. She was so completely willing for God to fulfill his purpose that she was ready to risk the stigma of being an unwed mother, of being thought an adulteress herself, and of bearing an illegitimate child. She surrendered her reputation to God's will. And I sometimes wonder, Stott writes, if the major cause of much theological liberalism is that some scholars care more about their reputation than about God's revelation. Finding it hard to be ridiculed for being naive and credulous enough to believe in miracles, they are tempted to sacrifice God's revelation on the altar of their own respectability. I do not say this, Stott writes, lightly. But I say this as one who has been tempted with the strength of this temptation myself. Friends, if there's anything that Mary teaches us, he, she teaches us that the way that you have anxiety, you get out of anxiety, is you bring that anxiety into the community. Nothing lives in the dark. Bring it into the light. Second, third, Anxiety, uh, anxiety goes to anticipation, excuse me. Third, adoration. What does Mary sing about? Well, she sings a little bit about me, and she sings a lot about he. Look at the song itself. Look in verse uh, 47. It says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my, soul, my Savior. And then she launches into a whole bunch of clauses in Greek about he, what he has done, what God has done, which is the perfect Christmas carol. A little bit about he, how he has blessed us, and a lot about what he, he has done, which is the heart of the gospel, isn't it? A little bit about me, I'm a sinner in need of grace, my self-saving strategies, no matter how creative, how successful, how good I may think that I am. I am sinful before an infinitely holy God. And a lot about he, what he has done, Christ, having lived a life we could not live and died the death we should have died. It's about him. And as she launches into this, it reminds me of what Bill Blankenship said a Thursday night at the community pep rally before the football game, by the way, go also Rams, well done, at the, football, at the pep rally when he said to the football players, he said, men, you're already champions in my book. So we might as well go and get that crystal football. Gold football, actually. The gold football. And that was the heart of the gospel. Jesus says to you, for those of us who believe in him by faith, you are already righteous in my Father's sight. But you might as well be generous with the Christmas offering. 
you might as well be loving to those that you want to look down your nose toward. You might as well be all that I've created you to be. Why? Because you're already champions in my book. And that's what Mary is saying here. There's nothing sentimental about this, about this song. It's, you know, she, she says that my, my spirit, my soul, these are the, it's the same thing. She's using Semitic parallelism here. Magnifies the Lord my Savior. Rejoices that God has saved someone like me. He has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Which is interesting. If you grew up Catholic, you love that verse. There's something for Protestants and Catholics in this song, frankly. Because Catholics tend to raise Mary higher than Scripture raises her. And frankly, Protestants might try to actually put her down, perhaps lower than Scripture praises her, because she should be modeled. She's an amazing example of humility and of courage, isn't she? So Catholics and Protestants have something to learn. Protestants, you need to read this verse carefully. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary is an amazing example of faith and humility and courage, isn't she? But Catholics also need to recognize what she says about herself in, in verse 47. My soul rejoices greatly in God my Savior. Perfect people don't need a Savior. So it's helpful for Catholics to recognize where Mary falls in redemptive history, and it's helpful for Protestants to see where Mary falls in redemptive history. She is an amazing woman that we should see as one who bore the Lord Jesus Christ and points in herself in her humility, in her courage, to the Savior as well. Mary is utterly unsentimental about it. Notice what she says. She says, He has done mighty, great, mighty and great things for me, and His mercy is for those who fear Him. He has shown strength with His arm, verse 51. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts. She goes right, she cuts to the quick. There's nothing sentimental about it. Like, like all these sentimental Christmas songs that we sing, like, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas like the one we had in Jersey that got really muddy at the next day and you had to shovel your sidewalks. I mean, it gets sentimental. Or, or, or you know, what's that, um, that Christmas carol that, that um, oh, uh, give me a home where the buffaloes roam, where the deer and the antelope play. I mean, they're out there like killing each other and we say they play. I mean, these, these sappy Christmas songs, are, they're so sentimental. But this first Christmas carol is not. She says, you lift up the poor, and you bring down the mighty. That the first Christmas carol reverses the world's values. It shows us the way that the gospel shows a personal revolution. My soul magnifies the Lord. I rejoice in God my Savior. I am a sinner in need of grace. There's a personal, psychological, spiritual revolution from Mary. She gets it. And then there's also an external revolution that the kings, the mighty ones, are brought down. The middle class and the rich are brought down, and the poor are lifted up. Which reminds us that the gospel levels the pool. The cross is level. Before the foot of the cross is level. Rich, poor, it is level. And Advent becomes a time where you and I need to check our cultural biases about those people that we think that we are better than. I mean, you do know, sociologists, sociologists have documented this fact, that it is the poor who get the gospel faster than the middle class. 
They understand their brokenness in a way that we, with our pottery barn couches, do not. Where are the poor in Owasso? They are far more places than you and I think. And if you have eyes to begin to see where they are, and as we communicate to you where they are more and more with opportunities of how to serve them, pray that the Holy Spirit might give you the opportunity to interact, to love and encourage them. They're in our church. They're here, right here. And the gospel does not allow us to look down our nose at anyone. This is the story of many of the great um, shows that we like to watch, like, you know, um, the old 80s comedy Trading Places or like Curly Sue in the early 90s, that great movie. Or, or recently, there's a, there's a movie that just came out about um, a man named Ron Hall who's an international art dealer from Fort Worth who was working at the Fort Worth Union Gospel Mission and befriends a man named Denver Moore. And Denver Moore, this poor homeless man in Fort Worth, saves Ron Hall's marriage to his wife, Deborah. And he, they write a book, and it's called The Same Kind of Different as Me which was recently made into a movie. So Christians get to look at other people and say, you're the same kind of different as me, regardless of race or economic status, regardless even of faith. And in that, we long to tell them about the gospel and help them see the joy that comes to us in Christmas. Advent moves us from anxiety, where Mary was, stressed to the max, to anticipation, in the community, anticipating together what God is going to do, as Mary was with her cousin Elizabeth, to a point where she speaks less about me and more about he, about what he has done to make everything new. And that reverses the world's values. It starts with a personal revolution. You understand your need for a Savior, and it moves out to your generosity toward the poor. And it confronts you with those people that you, perhaps for a long time, have looked down your nose toward. Mary grabs onto the wind of God's grace. And winds, as you know, can either throw you into the rocks or if you hoist your sail, they can carry you across the high seas. Anxiety, anticipation, adoration. That's our heart's journey during Advent. Where are you on that journey? That's the journey of a Christian. Look at Mary, and as you look at Mary, see her son, your Savior, who blows the winds of his Holy Spirit your direction, and it will either cast you into the rocks as a sinner with no leg to stand on, or you will hoist the sail of faith, and it will carry you across the high seas. Anxiety, anticipation, adoration, that's our journey over these next four weeks. Are you ready for it? See your Savior. See his love for you. He has come to you. Do not harden your hearts. Respond in faith and repentance toward his beauty. For, oh, Gabriel would have come to Mary, and Gabriel would have said to Mary the exact same thing if you had been the only descendant she ever had after Jesus. Your father loves you that much. Do you believe that? That's the question. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you will help us as those who come 2,000 years 
after the promise that Mary herself believed 2,000 years before her time that you were coming to redeem all of Israel. And in 2017, here we are. Would you rescue us and redeem us, we pray, by the power and work of your Son, on the basis of grace, through the means of faith. Would you help us to see Jesus? And would you help us to recognize at the foot of the cross our anxieties can move to anticipation for his return, can move to adoration for all that he's done for us. Help us, Lord Christ, to be a church like that. In Jesus' name, amen.